Heavenly Father, we ask that your <clears throat> your spirit would um, do the work that we need this morning, that your spirit would be tilling our hearts, softening our hearts, uh, digging out our ears, that we might hear from you, that we might be receptive to what you want to say to us. So, Lord, I pray that uh, a word would be given to each person this morning. That word may be different, dependent on what each person needs to hear, but I pray that above all, that the hope of Jesus would be uh, not only preached, but that it would um, sink into our hearts, sink deeply into our hearts. And so may we leave this place as an encouraged people this morning. Not encouraged because necessarily things are going great in our lives, but encouraged because of your son Jesus and the hope that he brings and the presence that he is in our life now. And so uh, guide us now, Lord, and I pray that you would be our teacher this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been with us over the last uh, number of weeks, we have been uh, in a sermon series called A Holy Meal, and we have been looking at the table of the Lord, uh, the Lord's Supper, Communion, Eucharist, whatever uh, you know this meal as, dependent on the tradition that you may or may not have come from. But we've been looking at uh, the significance of this meal and just sort of digging in a little bit deeper so that we might uh, cherish this meal that Jesus gave us uh, a little bit more And so we've been each Sunday choosing a word uh, that is associated with this meal. And specifically, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So three Sundays ago, we looked at the word remembrance. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me and what that means. Uh, Two Sundays ago, we looked at the word covenant. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood and all of the richness of truth that is associated with that word. Last Sunday, we looked at the word communion specifically communion with one another and how the context of what Paul is teaching in 1 Corinthians calls us to be mindful and aware not only of our relationship with God, but our relationship with other people as we gather around this this table. And this morning we want to look at the word anticipation. Anticipation. When, uh, when we gather around this table, we remember, as I've just said, we remember and we look back to the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We look back and remember with uh, humility and with great gratitude what Jesus has done for us. The price that he paid to forgive us of our sin, the price that he paid by giving of himself to be sacrificed on the cross. We look back to that sacrifice with gratitude. But in this meal, there's also a looking forward. We don't just look back on what has happened and the reality and the truth of that, but the Bible calls us that in this meal we are also to look forward. It is not just a meal of remembrance. It is also a meal of great anticipation. It is a meal of longing. Longing and anticipation have always been a mark of God's people right from the very beginning. A few Sundays ago, we talked about the history of the nation of Israel. We talked about how Israel once was uh, slaves. They were once slaves to the superpower of their day. That would be the Egyptian nation. And they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And I would imagine over those 400 years, there were plenty of times when the people of God groaned and longed under the oppression of that slavery, longed for God to one day set them to be a free people. And God indeed did do that in his time, but he eventually did do that in the Exodus story. God brought them miraculously out of the slavery, out of Egypt. He brought them and eventually brought them to the promise 
land. He made a covenant with his people. But that covenant would be short-lived because of the people's disobedience. And there would continue to be longing, and there would continue to be groaning within the hearts of God's people because of their sin, because of their oppression that they faced. God's people would continue to be a slave to other nations. They would continue to be oppressed by other nations. They would go into uh, captivity. They would go into exile because of their sin. And there continued to be this cycle of longing and groaning for God to come and set things right, for God to come and to set them free. And this carried on into Jesus' day. This is Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday reflects anticipation and longing of God's people. Because in Palm Sunday, Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, he walked into the city of Jerusalem, and the people met him with palm branches, and they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna. They welcomed him into the city. Because the history of the nation of Israel was that they longed for God to send his promised Messiah, the one who would come and bring salvation to the nation of Israel. And so these people, although at first they did not necessarily see Jesus as God's promised Messiah, they came to understand Jesus might be the Messiah. He might be the one that God has sent to save us, but the salvation that most of them were looking for was not the salvation that Jesus came to give. The salvation that most of them were looking for was salvation from the superpower of their day, and that would be the Roman Empire. Israel was under, their neck was firmly under the boot of the Roman Empire, and people longed to be set free from the Romans. So you need to know that as people welcomed Jesus into the city that day and said, Hosanna, save us, God, they were welcoming in someone who who they thought could be the Messiah, who they wanted to save them from the Romans. And once most of them found out that Jesus was not going to be that Messiah, they abandoned him. And all those cries of Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna turned into crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. But they longed for salvation. They longed to be set free. God's people have always longed to be set free. And yet in Jesus, as as he came and as he offered himself on the cross, we're told that salvation came through Jesus, that people could be set free from their sin through Jesus Christ. And yes, we can be. And yet we still live in a world where sin is present. We still live in a world where evil is all around us. Jesus is on the throne, and yet Satan is still alive, and he is still active. And you know the reality of this. You and I live in a world where we have to come face to face with our sin and the brokenness that that causes on a regular basis. You live in a world where you have to once in a while answer that phone in the middle of the night that brings you news that you never wanted to hear. You live in a world where you sometimes have to walk into your doctor's office and hear a prognosis from the doctor that you were not expecting that changes your life forever. We live in a world where we long and continue to groan for God to bring to completion what he started. Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul expresses to us this longing and this groaning. He says this, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? 
But if we hope for what we yet do not have, we wait for it patiently. We are a people of hope. We are a people who look forward in anticipation to what God will one day do. And that's what this message is about. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the passage that we've been looking at over the past few weeks, Paul reminds the Corinthians of what Jesus' words were when Jesus first had the Last Supper with his immediate 12 disciples. And Jesus said to his disciples, he said, as he took the bread and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he gave thanks, and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this whenever you eat it in remembrance of me. And then, as we know, he took the cup. He took the cup of wine, and they all partook together, and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. But then Paul adds something else. And he adds this verse that's going to be on the screen behind me. He says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Paul infuses hope and longing into this meal. All of a sudden, it's not just about looking back at what Jesus has done for us. But as we look back to the death of Jesus and all the hope that that brings, Paul says, we look forward. We look forward to Jesus coming again. We look forward to that great promise of Jesus that he will return. We look forward to that promise being fulfilled. In this meal, friends, we look back, but there's also hope. There's also great anticipation to that day that when Jesus will come back. And the Bible says when Jesus comes back, When Jesus returns, all things will be set right. That sin will be no more. That pain will be no more. That tears will be no more. That death will be no more. There's anticipation built into this meal. Jesus himself infused this meal with anticipation with his disciples when he ate this meal with them. He infused hope and anticipation as he ate with them. When he was eating with his disciples around the table... He said this to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And then when Jesus took the cup of wine, he said this, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Later on in the meal, in the book of Luke, Jesus said that his disciples would one day eat with him and drink with him at his table in his kingdom. So Jesus, as he eats and drinks with the disciples, he tells them, anticipate, long for another meal that's going to happen. It's not here now, but there's another meal that is coming. This last week, uh, this past Thursday, my wife Coralie, she made uh, stew and fresh bread. I love stew, okay? Big, tender chunks of beef, potatoes, carrots, rich broth, fresh bread to dip in your stew. Is anybody getting hungry right now? <laughs> and I just, you know, this is one of my very favorite meals. And so Coralie, in the morning, she will put all the ingredients in the crock pot and all the spices, and then it will be cooking all day, just torturing you all day long. But as you go through the day, you can just smell the stew cooking. And I come home from lunch, and I can smell the stew just cooking. And I'm looking forward to it. And I come home from work, and the bread is baking in the oven. I can smell the fresh bread 
baking, and I'm looking forward to it. And you know what? When there's stew cooking and there's bread in the oven, I can go through my day knowing that this supper is coming, and it doesn't matter if I'm having a lousy day. It doesn't matter if I'm you know, facing situations that I don't know what to do. It doesn't matter if I'm having problems that seem bigger than I'm capable of dealing with. It doesn't even matter if Pastor Jason is going on and on and on about how great Portugal is. I can take it. All day long I can take it because I know a great supper is coming. Okay? I'm anticipating this meal that I'm going to have. There's something about anticipation of an amazing meal that is coming that is just great. Jesus, when he eats this meal, the Last Supper, all of those years ago with his disciples, he says, friends, there's another meal that's coming. It is the meal to end all meals. And it is a meal when you will eat with me and you will drink with me at my table in my kingdom. And it is the meal that is known in book of Revelation as the wedding supper of the Lamb. And that meal will take place when Jesus comes again. Now, the wedding supper. Who's getting married? Well, Jesus is getting married. Jesus is the groom. Well, who's the bride? The bride is you and me. It's the church. One day, Jesus, the groom, will come, and there will be a wedding between Jesus and his church. Now, this may seem a little uh, strange or foreign to our ears, this kind of romantic wedding language to describe the relationship between Jesus and us, but it shouldn't really surprise us. Because this kind of language is all throughout the scriptures. In the Old Testament, God describes himself as a husband to his people. This is common language. Uh, In Isaiah chapter 54, it says this, For your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name. And sometimes when God's people would wander away from him and sin, God would call that adultery. A very intimate and uh, very intimate and personal word for sin. It's because of this relationship that is pictured between God and his people, that of a husband and a bride. In the New Testament, this marriage language continues, except it's now in the, in the language of engagement. Um, there's a groom-to-be and there's a bride-to-be. The groom is Jesus and the bride is his church. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, it says this, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you to him as a pure virgin. So the church is described in the New Testament as a bride, and the church is said to ready herself for this wedding that is to come. And Jesus is the groom. And one day this wedding will happen when Jesus returns for his bride. Uh, it's interesting. In Jewish culture, back in biblical times, uh, the, when there was an engagement between uh, a man and a woman, the, the groom-to-be, the prospective groom, would uh, leave their parents' house and they would come to the bride-to-be's house. And uh, there would be a meeting of families. And the families would agree on a bride price, okay? So it's a tradition back then that that there was actually a price that was paid for the bride. Now, I have three sons, so I'm glad that we don't do that anymore. But that's something that they did, and it sounds strange to us. But there was a, a price that was agreed upon. 
And then once that price was agreed upon and the, the price was paid, they took a cup of wine and together they would drink this cup of wine and this would be a way of sealing the, the agreement, the covenant. And when this bride price was paid and the cup of wine was drank, then someone would say, this cup is a new covenant. Interesting, isn't it? This cup is a new covenant. And then the groom-to-be would leave because although they were legally uh, brought together in a, in a legal sense, they did not have the wedding yet. That would be about a year away. And so the groom would go back to his parents' place where he would work at preparing a place where he and his bride would live. And then one day, on a day generally that people knew, although they didn't know specifically, the groom would return to where his bride would be, and then the wedding would take place. And a short ceremony would take place, and then after the ceremony would be a great feast that would last sometimes a week or even two weeks. In the gospel, as Jesus is sharing this last supper with his disciples, before his death, he took bread and they ate it together. And then he took the cup of wine, and when they drank it together, Jesus announced, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. All sorts of meaning in there, but this is engagement language, friends. And then he told his disciples, I'm going to go away, and I'm going to go away to my father's house, and I'm going to prepare a place for you to come and to be with me. And then he gave the promise, but I will come that Jesus has made the promise again and again and again in the scriptures, I will come back for my bride. I will not leave my bride. I will return. In fact, the very, the second last book of your Bible is the promise of Jesus, where he says to his bride, he says, yes, I am coming soon. At the very end of your Bible, Jesus appears and he says, and he reminds his bride, I'm coming back. I will not forget you. I am coming back soon. And so one day, friends, one day, God will announce, supper is ready. The table has been set. The wine has been poured. The food is prepared. And the groom has arrived. The marriage supper of the Lamb is here. I've told you before, but I was married in Calgary. And in 1995, at Foothills Alliance Church, my father married Coralie and myself. And we did a, a wedding rehearsal. And so we practiced the movements of the, the wedding. And so I was told by my dad we would stand up here. And then when Coralie came down, she would stand right about there. And then my dad said, would say to me, he'd say, now you need to go down and get your bride and bring her back up on stage. Friends, in my imagination, in heaven, God has a big refrigerator. And on this refrigerator, there is a big calendar. And on his calendar, there is a day, a specific day that none of us know, but it is circled in red. And when that day comes, God will turn to his son and he will say, my son, go get your bride. And God will come back, Jesus will come back, and he will gather his church, gather his bride to himself. And when Jesus comes back and does that, there is going to be a supper, a feast to end all feasts, where we, together with Jesus, will sit and eat and drink with him. When we will be at his table, and we will, and, and now we live with an anticipation of this day, knowing that he will return. 
This ought to give us hope. doesn't matter what circumstance you are in. If your life is going well, you ought to look forward to this day with great anticipation, knowing that anything good you experience now, <laughs> what we experience on that day will, it will just, everything we experience now will pale in comparison. It ought to give you hope if things are not the way that you want them to be right now in your life as well. Knowing that there's coming a day when God will make all things new. When Jesus will come back for his bride. This week I was listening to, I was in the sanctuary and uh, setting up some chairs. And so I just uh, grabbed my phone and I put some music over the system. And I just chose an album that uh, I love. Um, I don't recommend albums. I don't think I've ever recommended an album. But if you especially if you're going through a difficult time, uh, this is an incredible album. And it's Stephen Curtis Chapman's album, Beauty Will Rise. And he wrote this album out of pain. And he wrote this album out of longing for God to come and set things right. Because one day, Stephen Curtis Chapman had a little girl that was killed in his driveway in a car, as a car backed into her. It was a, just a massive accident. And all of a sudden, like that, his little girl was taken from him. And so as he processed this, he wrote this album. And let me just read to you uh, some words from this song, Beauty Will Rise. He writes this. I can hear it in the distance, and it's not too far away. It's the music and the laughter of a wedding and a feast. I can almost feel the hand of God reaching for my face to wipe the tears away and say, it's time to make everything new. Make it all new. This is our hope. This is the promise. This is our hope. This is the promise that it would take our breath away to see the beauty that's been made out of the ashes. Out of these ashes, beauty will rise, and we will dance among the ruins, and we will see him with our own eyes. Out of this darkness, new life will shine, and we'll know the joy that's coming in the morning. In the morning, beauty will rise. Friends, as we, in a moment, eat of the bread and drink of the cup, we remember, but we also look forward. And the response at the, at the end of your Bible, when Jesus reminds his bride, he says, yes, I am coming soon. The response of the bride is to say, amen, come Lord Jesus. And this is highly appropriate as we eat and drink together this morning. That as you eat the bread and as you drink the cup, you can use those words, you can use whatever words that are in your heart, but to affirm, yes, Jesus, we long for you to come. We long for you to come for your bride and make all things new. So I'm going to ask the servers if you would come at this time.